0: Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama of four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Ashley. Ashley Cox is an author and leadership mentor for female founders, where she teaches women how to leverage their natural strengths to lead their teams in a way that feels good and gets amazing results. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Hey Megan, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here.
0: I was just telling Ashley what a hot mess I am because I have (laughs) a podcast recorded and months and people listening are like, well, I didn't miss a day. I'm like, yeah, you didn't miss a day. Cause I batch recorded those suckers. Um, uh, but yes, it, I was like, I know I'm missing something here. <laughs> like I haven't done this in a while. So Ashley, when you applied to be on the podcast, you talked about leadership. I'd love to have you take us back to where did your leadership journey begin? And according to you, it started when you were really young.
1: Yeah. I've kind of always been a little bossy. Um, (laughs) If if you ask my sister and brother, they will say that I was a complete angel. Um, But yeah, no, I definitely was bossy. Um, I am the oldest of three. And my sister and brother came along when I was quite a bit older already. So I was 8 when Sarah was born and 11 when my brother Troy was born. So to me, it was kind of like getting to be in that mini mom role. So Mm. every picture of me and my sister, Sarah, I'm feeding her, I'm reading to her, I'm holding her, I'm playing. So it was very much kind of like I took her under my wing and was like, okay, this is my baby now. So (laughs) mom, I need you to step aside. (laughs) I got this. Um, But you know, we always did things where I was kind of leading the way and guiding and instructing. And you know years later, now my sister is uh she just turned 29 this uh past January, January 2020. And so it's cool to kind of see how our relationship has evolved since then. And now she'll say things to me like, You've always been so You know, such a great role model and somebody that I I can look up to. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people get their start in leadership is is maybe we've been a leader in our sibling group, or maybe we've been the kid that kind of likes to take charge in school, or, you know, as we get older, maybe we're the one who, you know, rallies the group together on uh, high school or college projects, or even in our volunteer efforts or our church efforts, or, you know, wherever it is we show up in the world. And typically I always like to say we women don't give ourselves enough credit for all the True. ways we lead. So I've been a leader my whole life. And I think you just, you kind of have to just look at, at what your experiences are and see where you've shown up as a leader.
0: So when was the first time you were a leader in a company setting? Cause I totally get where yeah. you're coming with siblings. I have, I have a sister who's two years younger than me, and I now I'm thinking I want to be a professor because all I can remember when we were kids is me playing school with her and making her do yes. homework. Yes.
1: They, <laughs> they hated playing school. Ashley, I don't want to play school anymore. And I'm like, listen, we have to do our lessons. <laughs> Yeah, as far as my first professional role as as being a leader, I was actually uh, working for Kroger when I was in college. And Kroger, for those of you who might not know, is a national grocery chain. Mm -hmm. More Southern. Well, actually we're in all 50 States, oh, um, really? 100 different banners. And I say, we, like I'm still there, I was there for 11 <laughs> years. Um, so I feel like Kroger kind of raised me from being yeah. in college and then graduating and getting my first professional start. Um, but they're under different banners names. So out West, you might see Ralph and Fred Myers and, uh, some different banners like that. So what about should- the
0: North? Cause I'm North 40. now.
1: Yeah. They have a lot of the, um, like the fuel center station. So like the Tom thumb and things like that, that you see up North. Yeah. So yeah, like huge company. Right. Um, But I started there as an hourly associate. And one of my very first leadership roles was to work the front office doing cash countdowns at night and closing out the front heels and registers and helping make sure that we had the right cashiers on the right, you know, stands at the right times to get customers served. And uh, it was such a natural fit for me. Like I felt like, yeah, this, this makes sense. I belong here because I enjoy making sure things run well and people feel supported and that they have what they need to do their job well. And having been on the other side of that as a cashier, I knew what that role needed in leadership. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to help provide that. And I was 19, 20 years old. Um, so that would be my first kind of foray into leadership
0: yeah that had to have been a lot at 19 or 20 to be like oh my gosh i'm in charge of these
1: people (laughs) more so oh my gosh they left me in charge of the money The people I was like, I'm a people person. I got this. The money part was like, oh right. <laughs> Does every, this come with a calculator? <laughs> I recently got
0: a job outside the home again. Um, because I had shut down my business when I started back to college and we moved and all this stuff happened where I'm like, oh, I really should get a job outside the the house. And they trust me with this money bag every day. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, all right. It's terrifying. I'm glad I can count. (laughs) I mean, we had one girl that they hired she got fired recently, but she couldn't freaking count. I'm like, how do you graduate high school and not know how to count change?
1: Yeah. Like, do they not teach
0: that anymore? Cause when I was a kid, they taught that.
1: Yeah. I don't think so. I I don't know. They, they do some kind of strange counting now and I don't have kids. So (laughs) I'm really glad I don't have to relearn how to count. (laughs) I got, I um, I got this. I'm totally
0: confused on like how they do things. I'm like, I can show you how I was taught to do that. Right? Like your strange little way of doing these. I'm like, yeah. I don't get that. Ask your yeah. teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to get you a tutor. <laughs> right. <laughs> Luckily they all are like really, really good at catching on to things. Mm. But like they were trying to show me their math homework one time. I'm like, I don't understand. This is too complicated. Why is it so complicated? <laughs> like, <I can't> <laughs>
1: like that. I mean, yeah, I've seen some of the of the new math and and I'm terrified of it. <laughs> but
0: I don't think they teach kids how to count change like they did when yeah. you know we were younger where mm-hmm. you literally learned starting in elementary school how to count yeah. change. But this girl, like was 18, had no idea how to count Mm -hmm. change. I'm like, that's terrifying.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, all the machines do it for, for people anymore. So when the machines go down, it's kind of like, oh, what do I do with these dollars and and change? And so much is by credit card anymore that Mm -hmm. it's really taken quite a bit of the thinking part out of retail. Uh, But yeah, there, there are definitely some scary situations with counting in retail. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So where'd you go after Kroger? Yeah, so... I stayed with Kroger for quite a while. I started with them when I was in college, and I stayed with them for eleven years. And like I said, oh, wow. they kind of raised me, yeah. um, because I had I'd had like a little part time office job working for my stepdad, and you know, it was like filing paperwork and stuff like that. But when I went to Kroger, like I really learned so many of my skills that I that I continued to use throughout my career. So after college, they were immediately like hey, we'd love to get you in our management program. So I went into that. And um, I spent probably three years as an hourly clerk. And then I spent a couple of years as a store manager. And then from there, I went into HR. And so that's kind of how I, I rounded out my leadership career in being on the other side, not just leading the teams, but then also helping the leaders who were leading the teams learn and develop their skill sets. And then of course that kind of transition into a lot of of practical HR things like unemployment and compensation and benefits and um, you know, limiting liability and and working with uh, Kroger for a period of time. And then I worked for J crew for a while as well. And so I've had some pretty big corporate experience and then I transitioned that into you know, having my own business and being able to really work with women specifically, because I know what it's like to be a woman in leadership and especially in a very male dominated organization and a very, uh, an organization is very entrenched in tradition. Um, Kroger has been around for like 150 some years now. And it was very, it was a very different experience than what I thought it was going to be when I went into it. And so my leadership journey has really just been all these beautiful sides of the coin, I guess, you know, it's not just a a two-sided coin, but maybe more like a prism, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a leadership prism. (laughs)
0: So, what was the biggest struggle for you uh, working in a male-dominated f- field? Like, I know sometimes men can uh, feel like they're a little a little more uppity than women. Like, they're yeah. they're better than us. Yeah, that's yeah. the word I was looking yeah. for. Yeah, better than us. Well,
1: there was a lot of mansplaining that was going on. Um, there was a lot of quashing of my natural. Being who I am, how I show up in this world, the the gifts that I have, the skills that I have, um, were very much not in alignment with how they thought I should be leading teams. And so for the longest time, I was told things like, "Oh, Ashley, you can't be so empathetic. People are going to run all over you. Oh, well, you know, at twenty two years old when I was you know had my first right out of college professional leadership job, I was like, oh, oh, I can't be okay. I can't be like that. And every turn that I made, it was, oh, you can't be too nice. Oh, you can't be too friendly. You can't be all these, these things that were very natural to me. And and if anybody knows strengths finders in your audience, um, my top strength is empathy. So (laughs) it's very much a part of just who I am. And that was really hard because for several years, I kind of tampered that down and squashed it down. And I tried to be tough as nails and, you know, like I didn't take shit off anybody. And like, you know, like it just was, it was just not who I was, but I struggled and it was hard and it didn't feel good. And I left work a lot of days feeling like, ugh, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And that was really kind of a a point in my life where I started questioning, do I really want to be in a leadership role? Do I want to be, you know, not necessarily in this company because it was, it's kind of a cultural thing, right? These, these characteristics, these qualities are often not accepted as being good leadership qualities. Um, And so I, I I finally worked for a woman after, I think I was there like eight years before I had my first female boss. And I saw that she was very compassionate and very nurturing and very like invested in her people. And I thought, Oh, well, what if I stopped trying to be somebody that I'm not and actually be who I am? What kind of difference would that make? And so I decided, okay, well, let's give this a try. If she can do it, maybe I can do it. And it changed everything for me. My people responded to me better. Um, I built stronger alliances with them, they would bend over backwards and do anything for me, they were getting promoted left and right, and they were staying in touch with me, even years later, I haven't, I haven't worked for Kroger now since 2013, and they still message me on Facebook, oh my God, I just got this promotion, and, and I thought back to a time when you told me XYZ, and told me to be myself, and... Like, I'm here because of you. And I don't say that to be braggy. I hope that's not coming across. Oh, braggy. no, but it's not. No. To me, like, that's huge. When people, like, value what you bring to the team so much that they stay in touch and come back and, and share their celebrations with you. Like, that's the coolest feeling in the world. Um, so that's kind of like the struggle and and how I've used that to to kind of develop my own leadership style. That's just really against what I was... Reached to when I was starting my leadership journey, which I think is something that's very much perpetuated in the leadership culture. And, and a lot of the leadership books and resources and, and tools that are out there just perpetuate that you have to be hard. You can't be nice. You can't be compassionate. You can't, you can't, you can't. Well, I'm saying you can, and it works really, really well. Yeah.
0: I had to say like the culture, in a company and the management and everything like that can, can make or break a person. Mm -hmm. Like if, if people see, and I've been seeing this with my job recently is like there's favoritism Mm -hmm. or there is not clear expectations or people don't feel valued. They're less likely to put in the work that you want them to. But if they feel value, value, they feel like you're listening to them, you're empathetic, you're compassionate. I mean, obviously not so much so that you're just letting them run over you, Mm -hmm. but like you really care and things are, the expectations are very clear. You see that people will do a much better job than that 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 mess of like we don't know what the expectations are, you know, um the communication sucks mm-hmm. and there's favoritism and there's no appreciation, all of that stuff. So feel I, I feel like your leadership style is much better than the get this done, do whatever. And my husband with my husband's job, I mean he's worked for several different leaderships. And mm-hmm. I've seen him where he's very super motivated and he's gung ho and he's excited to go to work because the leadership is amazing. And, and the, the culture and the, the whole command is, is amazing. But then I've also seen him where he's had really shitty leadership and the dude doesn't want to go to work and he's burned out and he yeah. just hates his life. And, you know, everybody feels that way because it is the leadership. So I, I, I do, I think there is the leadership, is, is a huge factor in how a company or, you know, any sort of job employment opportunity is going to work.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, there's a lot of talk about culture. And I'll say that with imagine air quotes, culture, <laughs> because so many people get culture wrong. And culture mm-hmm. isn't ping pong tables and a fully stocked kitchen or beer in the fridge or a thousand other things that people keep defining as culture. Those are perks. Yeah. Culture is the way that you lead your team, the way that you empower your team to take responsibility for what they are doing in the company, in the business. It's the way that you all make decisions together. It's the way that feedback is communicated amongst the team members, it's, it's how sticky situations and, and hard conversations are had and addressed. It's not about perks. It's truly about how do we work together functionally. And I think a big part of that is having empathy and compassion, but you hit the nail on the head, Megan, when you said, but not letting it go all the way swinging to the other side, (laughs) because it it very much is kind of like a bell curve, right? On the left Mm -hmm. side, it's like, I have no empathy, no compassion at all whatsoever. And that's not good. And then on the other side of the bell curve, it's oh, I have all the empathy and all the compassion and everybody can do what they want and make the rules up as we go, and like, that's not effective either. We've gotta find a happy medium where we can read a situation and we can use that emotional intelligence to say, do I need to be a little more compassionate today or are we kind of letting things slide and I need to set some stricter expectations and hold my team a little more accountable? But one thing a lot of women say to me is like, oh, but I don't want to be mean, Ashley. It's not about being mean. It's boundaries. It's boundaries. It's 100% boundaries. And we women have the hardest time setting healthy mm. boundaries. Or we'll get really gung-ho about something and say, I'm setting all the boundaries today because we've like reached our breaking point. And it's like, <laughs> I'm not doing anything for anybody ever again. And then the very next minute, it's like, oh my God, it was too mean. And so we've, we've got to find that happy medium between being, I'm fed up with everybody and stop running me over. And I'm not going to set any kind of boundaries and burn ourselves out. Right.
0: I see. I'm the person that is like. I don't mind if people have fun at work and they're enjoying what they're doing, but you have to also do your job. Yes. So I'm good. So I have some coworkers who will just be chatting it up and laughing and wandering around when we're supposed to actually, we have people to to wait on. We actually have clients that we have to work with. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not okay. I want Mm -hmm. you to enjoy your job, but I need you to do your work. Um, But luckily I am not in charge because I think they wouldn't (laughs) like it very much if I was because I'm a very much a a, you know I like I said I don't mind if people are enjoying themselves Mm -hmm. or they're chatting at work or whatever and they they're really creating like this environment that's positive Mm -hmm. but you also have to put in the work so I think that's the boundaries it's like yes we want to be like have fun and enjoy our our time at work but also get the things done that we need to
1: Yeah. And that's where setting clear expectations up front instead of in the middle of a problem is going to help you avoid getting into the middle of those problems in the first place. Where we often fail is that we don't really know what we want our people to be doing, or we Mm -hmm. don't really take the time to sit down and be thoughtful about, okay, I want to create an environment where it is fun and everybody gets along and we have a good time at work but we're also making progress. So what does that look like? Does that look like having processes in place? Does that look like having some sort of accountability system where mm-hmm. maybe you're peered up and you've got a buddy or you assign two team members as peer buddies and they help keep each other on track to meet deadlines? Or maybe it's you know a daily kind of team meeting that's five minutes long and everybody just gives a quick update about where they are or what they're struggling with, what they need support with. So that way you stay in communication. You mentioned communication earlier. And I would say that like 99.9% of the problems that I see with with clients, stems from some form of miscommunication. Either yeah. you didn't communicate at all, <laughs> you were really confused in your communication, uh, you never followed up again. Which you were is really angry in your communication. You angry. <laughs> you were just having a, a conversation over lunch and you thought it was really important and they interpreted it as, oh, it was just lunch convo. No big yeah. deal. Like it was never formalized. Is this a thing we're supposed to be doing now or like there's too much gray area there. Right. Right. Um, and so I always, always tell my clients, if your employees are confused, it's because you're confusing. So clarify what it is that you want and what you need from your people and then build your fun in around that.
0: What do you think is the biggest struggle for women in leadership? Like, or maybe not just one, what are the biggest (laughs) struggles for women in leadership?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, a lot of it comes down to, we haven't seen other women in leadership positions, so we don't have something to model ourselves after. We've seen our male counterparts in leadership positions. Of and course we, see we how have. They, yeah, we see how they do it, um, but we don't lead like that. Most women lead very differently than our male counterparts. So not having representation in senior leadership roles is a huge part of where we struggle not having someone else to kind of forge the path and set the example for us. Another, another big issue is, is the, you know, I don't want to be mean. That is a huge mm-hmm. thing that is holding so many women back. Um, and again, it's, it's not saying that that's wrong. We don't, obviously we don't want to be mean, right? Yeah. Uh, but we need to be tactful and we need to be clear and we need to give directive. And so it's reframing what, what mean actually means. Um, mean is, you know, calling somebody names, degrading somebody in front of their peers. It's, uh, you know, making something that they've done in, you know, instead of having a private conversation, making it very public. Those are mean things. And if you're worried about being mean, you're probably not going to do those things. So right. no one, you're probably not going to be as mean as you think you are. Um, and it's reframing. It's, you know, being clear is being kind, as Brene Brown loves to say. And I, I think that. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? If you don't love Brené, either, you have her leadership read her books. book is amazing. Yes, <laughs> yeah. her leadership book. Dare to is lead? Yeah, it's fantastic. Everything she writes is is wonderful. Um, but you know, being clear is being kind, and I think that's an important way to reframe. I don't want to be mean. You're not being mean. You're just being clear, and that helps your people understand what it is that you need and want from them. And the thing is, people need rules, people need guidelines, people need to know what is it that you want from me? Because if you don't tell them, they're just going to kind of be walking around in the dark, trying to be mind readers, which they're not, (laughs) trying to figure out what it is you want from them. And that's mean. (laughs) That's giving people no tools, no support, no help in being successful in a role. So Really flipping that. And then the third thing I would say would be don't create yourself as a crutch for your employees. Mm-hmm. What happens a lot of the times is when an employee is having a, um, a struggle or a challenge or they're facing a difficulty with a project or an assignment, they'll usually come to the leader and say, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And guess what Me as women like to do? Oh, I'll take that. I'll fix that. I'll Mm -hmm. help you do that. And so I always like to say, helping isn't doing. (laughs) Helping is teaching them how to be resourceful, how to utilize the tools that you've already given them. So if you're getting questions over and over about a particular process or something to do with timelines or something to do with how we take care of our clients, put it in writing. Make a guidebook, create, you know, it's not a super sexy term, standard operating procedures, but we all know what an SOP is, right? It's the way that we make this thing happen consistently over and over and over again. That way, then you can say, hey, have you checked the guidebook? No, okay, go there and check first and if your question isn't answered, then let me know. So what we're doing is we're retraining our employees to be helpful to themselves and maybe even helpful to one another, versus leaning on us as their crutch, which is super damaging because then what does our day get filled up with? Putting out fires. Right. Right. So those would probably be like the three big areas that I I see women struggling with quite a bit.
0: My husband's in a leadership position at his, uh, is his job. And he said, I will tell the guys I'm in charge of that. If they have a question, here's where you can find it. Go look it up yourself because you need to have People be kind of on their own and be able to do things on their own without constantly coming to you and answering you answering the questions for them. Where can they find this information? How can they do it? And if you take over and you do it for them, they're not learning. Yeah,
1: not not at all. And so then, what do we train them to do? Come back to us time and time and time again. And so this is where a lot of times when when clients come to me and they've got you know four, five, six, ten employees, they're like. I thought hiring people was going to take work off my plate. I mean, if I'm going to be answering these questions all day, I might as well just do the job. Yeah. But you, you kind of created that. So (laughs) We're going to have to do a little bit of undoing here and refashion the way that we set those expectations with our team members and then hold them to it.
0: Right. There's got to be some sort of way for them to find that information before coming to you before you're the last resort like what are the steps they need to take before they come to you mm-hmm. versus them just coming to you and being like ah,
1: i'm losing it <laughs> we don't want you to
0: lose it you don't have time to lose it <laughs> Right. There's, I mean, there's, there's a chain of command for a reason, right? Like if somebody's the CEO of their company, that should not be the person that everybody's getting answers from.
1: I mean, I can't imagine if I went to the CEO of Kroger every time I had a question or a problem, I was like, hey, so listen, I got this question here. He looked at me and been like, excuse me?
0: Who are you? I don't even know who you are.
1: And honest to goodness, he may not even have had the answer because there was so much going on. So not saying that you have to have a, you know, a hundred billion dollar company or, or have multiple layers of, of structure, but you can create that support and those tools and those resources, even if it's not in the form of, you know, people that are in between you and your team members as a manager, it could just be a guidebook, a standard operating procedure. It could be, Hey, have you Googled that? <laughs> because sometimes Google can answer a lot of our questions or YouTube that have, you know, I don't know every single aspect of my email campaign software, right? Right. But I have a virtual assistant who does or should know how to do those things. And if I don't know what I'm doing, if I'm in there fiddling around, I ask her. And if she doesn't know, she researches. And so that's how this thing works. (laughs) It's like, you know, we've got to empower ourselves to not have to be the end all be all person in the company who knows everything. Because when we do that, the company cannot operate without us. And so you will never take a vacation ever. If that terrifies you, this is, this is important.
0: (laughs) I feel like taking a vacation as a business owner is like that litmus test for how well you're team is operating. If you're able to walk away for like a week and just shut off your phone Mm -hmm. and be like, only contact me in case of emergency, Mm -hmm. that is saying like you, your team is working well.
1: Yes. Check. You are successful. (laughs) But if you can't take a break, I mean, if you can't even take, I've I've had clients who can't even take 24 hours off from (sighs) their business, that's a problem. That's not a good place to be and I I hate that for them. But you do not need to be the sole person who knows how to do everything in your business and can be the only one who answers questions or fixes problems. And you know what? Every problem isn't a code fire problem. It's not. It can wait 24 hours or it can wait a week. It's not going to be the end of the world. So it's also important to kind of identify what things in your business are like code fire things. If this happens, I need to know immediately. Like this is a major problem versus, Hey, we had this little tech glitch. We YouTubed it. We're trying to figure it out. We still can't get it quite figured out. We've contact IT support. Okay, great. I may not need to know about that right away, but if it persists for, you know, a day or two, then like definitely let me know so we can get on this. We may you know, need to need to talk to somebody who can fix the thing. Um, but, most of the time, the things in our business, like we're not neurosurgeons, we're not rocket scientists, people aren't going to die um, if they don't get their downloadable freebie or whatever it is that we're offering um, in our business. You know, I mean, we want to maintain and and guard our reputation as business owners. Um, Or if you're in a corporate type of position, you want to maintain your reputation there as well and, and get things fixed. But teach your people how to help you solve problems instead of coming to you to solve the problems.
0: So some people listening may just be brand new to a leadership position. And like you said, for many women, they're not going to have a woman to show them what to do. Mm -hmm. What would be some really good resources for them to learn how to be a good leader?
1: Yeah. I think part of it is really knowing yourself well. One of my most I probably talk about this more than just about anything else, but you've got to be self-aware as a leader. If you have no self-awareness, you're not going to be able to to fix anything. And, and that's a problem. <laughs> so first off, we have to have a lot of self-awareness, definitely doing things like personality assessments. I love like 16personalities.com is a really great free resource to get a, get a little bit more insight into who you are. The Enneagram is a great personality assessment. Um, you know, the Strengths Finder is another great one. Just do some research on yourself and get to know yourself first, because if you don't know who you are, it's going to be really hard to figure out what your leadership style is. So start there with yourself, personality assessment. I don't care which one you take, just get to know yourself and start building that self-awareness. Another great thing to do is talk to co-workers from the past or people who are really close to you that will give you some honest feedback and ask some pointed questions. How, you know, how you you communicate or how you maybe you had to give a presentation, how you gave that presentation. Was it clear? Did they understand what you were communicating? What could you do better? What could you do differently? What did you leave out that maybe you could have done that you didn't? Because all of this feedback that you're gathering is a really great way for you to understand how others are perceiving you. So first step, know yourself. Second step, get feedback from others. So you understand their perception. Now people love to run around and say, Oh, but that's their perception. Like that's, that's not my problem. Actually. Yeah, it is. How people perceive you is really your problem because you're coming across some way. Um, and when you have a team of employees, you can't blame them for the way you lead. So that's, a little bit of tough love for you, but you know, that's, that's how we do it around here. We give you a little tough love, but then we tell you, you got this, you can do this girl. Um, but I think those would be the two best places to start. And then I love Brene Brown. She is amazing. I think if you want to get to know yourself better, Daring Greatly is an amazing book. I think that can set you up really well for, um, you know, stepping into your role as a leader. Um, And then of course her book, Dare to Lead is amazing as well. And I just released my own book this past year, if it's okay to share that.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, can you get it off Amazon?
1: Yes, you can. Okay. So I'll link it. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So my book, Transform Your Stories is perfect for women who are just coming into a leadership role or who've been in a leadership role for a while. And they're just not feeling like they're cut out to lead. Um, So basically what I do is I, I help you walk through the book in journaling prompts. So it's a very interactive book. It's like one giant workbook and we work through, you know, what are toxic stories how are they holding you back? What role do they play in your journey, and how do we overcome those so that way you can start telling yourself stories that are more positive and more supportive with the goals that you have? If you sit back and you think, oh, "Just I don't know that I'm cut out for this," guess what? The actions that you take, the the way that you show up in this world, are going to reflect you are not cut out for this. So how do we transform that story to say, "You know what? I don't know." How to do this yet, but I'm learning. And so that's a more empowering story. That's a story that can help us say, you know what, I don't have to pretend, I don't have to fake it till I make it, which I'm not a huge fan of of that phrase, because it's okay to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'm learning. And that's a much more empowering conversation to have with ourselves than I'm not cut out for this, or I suck at leading a team, or I don't, I don't really know how to set clear expectations. You don't know now, but you're learning and that 's okay, and so I think you know, that that resource would be a, a fantastic place to start in, in uncovering those stories that you might be telling yourself as well
0: So what were some toxic stories that you told yourself in the beginning?
1: Oh girl, mm. <laughs> we want to hear some toxic stories i 'll share <laughs> Yes, um, so when I first started off as a leader. I was 22 and I was right out of college. And you know, at 22, you think like, you know, everything. So i right. like, I got this. I'm going to do great. Everybody's going to love me. I'm going to just lead all over the place. I'm going to lead, 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 lead. And everybody's going to love me. Well, that wasn't true, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, those are also very toxic stories is when we're overly confident or we're overly assured. And so I learned very quickly that I was not as, you know, the bee's knees as I thought I was uh, going to be. But then once I started to kind of experience a lot of toxic masculinity from some of the supervisors that I had, um, one time actually being told to quote, go fetch us some more coffee end quote, yes, that really happened. I about went through the roof that day. Um, I started to believe stories about, well, maybe I'm really not cut out for this. Who am I to lead a team? I'm only 22. Who am I to lead a team? I'm only a woman. Oh, to think back that I had these thoughts is so heartbreaking. And I wish I could go back and like hug 22 year old Ashley and say, girl, you are so much more amazing than you even realize. And so those stories really just kind of seeped into my soul. They weren't just things that were in my head. They, they got into my heart, they got into my soul. And I, I questioned a lot. Am I really, this is this the right path? Like, should I just go do something else? Um, but you know, I I kind of after the coffee com- comment, I got a little bit brazen and I went to my manager's manager and was like, "Listen, I know that I'm better than this," and I was you know, sobbing. Obviously, I know I'm better than this. I deserve another chance. Give me a chance to turn this around. Send me somewhere else. Send me to work for anybody else. I don't even care who it is. (laughs) Like I was done. Um, and I I don't want your toxic stories to get to the point where you like blow a gasket or you're sitting in your manager's office with like tears and snot running down your face. Um, being able to to know, you know, that's a toxic story, but it was also a toxic environment that perpetuated that, I think that's also an important distinction. What type of environment are we in? And is that Mm. perpetuating the toxic stories that we're having? And if so, can we get out of that environment as quickly as possible? Because that shift changed a lot of those toxic stories for me. I went to a store where I had a manager who loved me and it was like, oh my God, who are you? You're like a miracle manager. And I was like, thank you. Somebody knows. Somebody knows, um, but I still had a lot to learn. I still had you know some of that over overconfidence and some of that you know that part of me that was chipped away from that toxic situation I had come from um, so there's kind of a lot of layers there, but hopefully that gives you an example of, of what it might sound like to be in a toxic situation and, and to have those toxic stories
0: yeah, oh, toxic environment is huge, so. Mm-hmm. I, I recently had a coworker blow up on me, uh, oh. for telling her for correcting her actions. She says, you were telling me what to do. I'm like, I was correcting what you were doing. Cause you were doing things, not the way you're supposed to. Mm. And she blew up. We're aware the we wear the same color shirt. We're in the same level. I should not be telling mm. her what to do all these things. And I'm like, I didn't want to come to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And one of my coworkers is like, cause it she has created a toxic environment for yeah. me. And and so then I had to go to my leadership and say, mm-hmm. Hey, this is what happened. And mm-hmm. I can't, I can't keep you doing know? this because she, every day that something is like calling mm-hmm. me names, it's, you know, saying something and she's, she's just creating an environment for me. That's yeah. not pleasant. So I yeah. like how you brought up the toxic environment. It needs to change. You have to do be proactive in changing that environment so that you don't feel like, I don't want to come to work anymore or I'm I'm not worthy of what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know what? The crazy thing is, as you're talking through that. I'm thinking the toxic stories we're telling ourselves is creating a toxic environment around ourselves. Mm-hmm. And man, now I wish I'd have put that in the book. <laughs> <laughs> your next book, book your next that's book. That's right. Book number two will be coming soon and we'll be talking about toxic environments, but it really does like the, the things that we tell ourselves inside of our, our mind, our self-talk, our whatever you call the chatter in your head, that is very much an environment. And if we're living in an environment that is a toxic wasteland because of all the crap we're telling ourselves, then we need to, we need to do a little housekeeping. We got we to get in there and get a broom or get a backhoe or whatever it is that you need to clean that out because it's not helping you. I promise it's not helping you.
0: Well, Ashley, this has all been Amazing. And I really hope that women take away all this information about leadership. And I'd love for you to share one thing or a collection of things that you'd like to leave the Inspired Women audience with as we wrap this up.
1: You are so much more capable than you are giving yourself credit for. You have everything you need to be an incredible leader. You just need to trust your intuition clean out the toxic stories in your head and trust yourself. Yes. Yes.
0: What a wonderful way to end this. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, Megan. It's such a joy. As soon as I I heard your podcast and I was listening to episodes several months ago, I was like, Oh, I like this girl. (laughs) I love this message and the women you have on are just absolutely amazing. So it's just an honor to be here and be a part of this community with you.